Father, we come before you to reflect on the sacrifice made by your Son. We are undeserving of this precious gift, deserving only death ourselves. But you have reached out in grace and mercy to sinners like us. What amazing grace you have shown to us. Quiet our hearts as we turn towards you this evening. Give us eyes to see what Christ has done. In your Son's name, amen. Luke's account of the events leading up to the crucifixion stand in stark contrast to the triumphal entry. Not a week earlier, the crowds had been crying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The crowds had joyously celebrated the entry of Jesus, but they did not understand the events that they were seeing with their own eyes or the words they were saying with their own mouths. The triumphal entry of the king was now replaced before their very eyes by the humiliating exit of a criminal. Luke tells us, as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. The severe treatment had Jesus left him in such a state that as he was led away from Jerusalem, the guards felt the need to seize someone else to help Jesus carry his own cross. Verse 27 tells us, There followed him a great multitude of the people and of women. Likely the crowd that day numbered in the tens of thousands, comprised of many who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. The horror of the events playing out in front of the crowd could not be ignored. The witnesses responded by mourning and lamenting, Luke tells us. And how could they not? The pain and suffering Christ endured was unimaginable. However, the crowd's response was not just pity for the suffering that they were witnessing. They mourned because they thought to themselves, this was not supposed to happen. Many who had followed Jesus to this point believed he truly was the Messiah, the king that would come to save them. Jesus had been welcomed into Jerusalem as the prophesied king, and in their minds the events happening before their eyes were not supposed to happen. How could Jesus, the king, be heading toward a cross? So the crowds responded, not just in pity, but in despair, because they could not understand what they saw. These things happened to fulfill the prophecies. As we have already read this e evening in Isaiah 53, it tells us, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus could see their confusion, and he replied to them, saying, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, 
and the breasts that never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus' response to them is filled with words from the prophets and descriptions of judgment yet to come. The people around Jesus did not understand what was happening and probably did not understand the words Jesus had just said. But Jesus fully understood what the crowds could not. The path of victory led to the cross. And so he responded to them saying, Do not weep for me, because he was heading to conquer death. Just as he has entered Jerusalem as a king, Jesus left Jerusalem as a king, going out to win the victory for his people. The cross of death would soon become a symbol of life, but the people around him could not see it. Luke continues his account, writing, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Luke tells us that Jesus was crucified between two criminals. Some of your translation may tell us that they were thieves. But describing them as merely criminals or thieves may be an understatement. Crucifixion was reserved by the Roman Empire for the most dangerous and evil of criminals. Those who were considered traitors or who were attempting to overthrow Rome. These two criminals were not common criminals. They were the worst of the worst. By being sentenced to crucifixion, Jesus was also being accused of being one of the worst criminals. But the prophet Isaiah had written hundreds of years before that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors. And as Jesus hung between the two criminals, the prophecies of Scripture were coming true. Luke's account turns and tells us of the rulers and the Romans' guards. After they had hung him on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' request for forgiveness for the guards and for those who had sent him to die again shows us the blindness of those around him. They were completely blind to the events that were unfolding before their eyes. All the Roman guards saw when they crucified Jesus was just another criminal. And to their human eyes, they had no reason to believe anything else. Luke continues telling us that the guards cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he was the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There is also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. The mocking of the guards and the rulers reveal that all they saw before them was a criminal, a liar that claimed to be a king. The irony of the inscription over him reading, this is the king of the Jews, is that Jesus truly was the king the Jews had been waiting for. But their mocking also reveals something that no one understood. They taunt Jesus several times, telling him to save himself from the cross, 
Their reasoning was if Jesus could save others and was truly the Son of God, couldn't he save himself? And similarly, those witnessing the crucifixion who believed Jesus was the Son of God possibly feared that if Jesus couldn't save himself, could he save anyone? But this was God's plan that no one could see, that Christ was securing salvation through his death on the cross. This had been God's plan before the foundations of the earth, that Christ should come, suffer, and die, and rise again. Again, these events were described by the prophet Isaiah as he writes, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. As Jesus is crucified, Luke tells us that the first criminal hanging with him takes up the mocking of the guards, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. How truly blind this man was. As he hung next to Jesus, all he could see was another criminal, liar, a man who claimed to be the Savior, but could not seem to even save himself. Nothing that this man had witnessed could convince him that Jesus was who he said he was. The response of the first criminal highlights the problem that afflicted so many who watched the Christ's crucifixion. A blindness of the spirit. Through their human eyes, all they could see was another man going to die on a cross. And because of the blindness of their spirit, this is all they could see. The mocking of the first criminal is rebuked by the second criminal, hanging on the other side of Jesus. The second criminal replies, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Amidst a sea of blindness, the second criminal makes a confession that should give us pause as we read through Luke's account. This confessing criminal responds to Jesus' crucifixion in faith. His confession shows us that he alone could see what Christ was doing on that cross. And in response, he confesses that he is a criminal and he deserves the punishment that he faces. He says, I am a criminal, and my punishment is just. How right he was. Not only was his punishment of crucifixion justly deserved for his crimes, but death, everlasting separation from God, was just punishment for his sin. But his confession is not just a confession of his own wrongdoing. He also confesses that Jesus is who he really says he is, that Jesus is no criminal, but that Jesus truly is the Son of God. Not only is the criminal's confession a confession of his own sin, it's a confession of what he sees, who Christ, who Christ truly is. The confessing criminal then turns to Jesus asking, 
Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Luke's account of the crucifixion narrows to this moment. The weeping and mocking of the crowds fades into the background as Jesus turns to this criminal. Jesus says to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The confession of the second criminal is truly remarkable. Unlike the blindness of the people around him, he can see what Christ is doing on that cross. Here is a man with no other place to turn, and so he turns to Jesus. Some may ask, what did the confessing criminal say or do to deserve to be saved? And the criminal's only response could be, it's not because of what I did. What I did earned me death on a cross. It's because of what he did. It's because of what I saw him do. It's only because of Jesus that I was saved. It's tempting to ask ourselves, how could everyone else witnessing Christ's crucifixion not believe? They were witnessing the very climax of history, and still they could not see what was happening. When we read this passage, it's easy to take the response of the confessing criminal for granted. The mystery of this passage is not the blindness of the crowds, The mystery of this passage is the one lone criminal, deserving of nothing but the punishment he is suffering, but whose eyes are opened, who says, Lord, I see. I see what you are doing. And when your work is done, remember me. As we reflect on Luke's account of Jesus' crucifixion, I ask, what is our response to the cross? We have seen the response of the crowds, of the soldiers, and of the criminals. But what do we see when we look at the cross? As I reflect on the various responses to the cross, Luke's record of the faithful response of the second criminal stands out from the rest. And often when I read this story, I want to put myself in the place of the confessing criminal. I want to think that I would respond in the way that he did. Too often, I think we take his response for granted. When we look at the response of the crowds or the soldiers, we should see that they had no human reason to understand what Jesus was doing. Their response was to be expected. And this is what makes the response of the confessing criminal so unique. Out of the thousands gathered in Luke's account, only he is recorded as truly seeing what Christ was accomplishing upon that cross. His response is true sight in a sea of blindness, and we should not take for granted his confession of faith. As we see the events of Good Friday play out, we should respond by praising God. Over the past several weeks, we've walked through an account of the Old Testament with the children. And as we look at the creation and fall, I hope we all understand that none of this was outside of God's control. As Pastor Tim preached through Genesis 1-1, he explained how God's plans were laid before the foundations of the earth. 
The crucifixion of his son was the solution God had planned, and nothing happened outside of his plan. God's words spoken through Isaiah reveal his own will to us. Isaiah writes, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, we shall, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We worship a sovereign God, and as we reflect on the cross, we should praise and glorify him. For those of us who are believers, we should approach the cross with thankfulness, for we too can see what Christ accomplished on that cross. We should marvel that our own eyes have been opened so that we can see what many cannot. The believer should live with a constant attitude of thankfulness. And a simple look at the cross should tell us why. The cross demonstrates God's amazing love and grace towards us. We should remember the confession of the second criminal. And as we remember that he considered everything that he had done worth only death, but it was not because of what he did that he was saved. It was because of what Jesus did. The fact that Jesus would save a sinner like him or a sinner like me demonstrates that the amazing grace God has. We deserve death, just like the second criminal. But it is only because of what Christ has done that we should be saved. When we examine our own lives, I pray that you consider the confession of the criminal. Because not one of us in this room was saved by anything that we did. The only thing that we can confess is the same thing the criminal confessed. I was saved because of what he did. I was saved because of what Christ did. This is the amazing grace of God, that we are saved not by a single thing that we can do, but because of only what Christ has done. Again, as we look upon the cross tonight, I pray that your heart breaks for his suffering, the suffering he endured for our sin, but I also hope you see the joy, the joy that those with open eyes can see, that hanging on that cross was not a criminal or a liar, but the Son of God who's charging headlong into death so that we may have life. It was not a criminal that hung on that center cross, but our Lord and Savior. Please join me as we close in prayer. Father, forgive us. We don't deserve your grace. As we reflect on the life and death of your Son, 
I pray that we do not take his sacrifice lightly. Father, thank you for the very faith that has opened our eyes. We were once blind, but now we see the things that Christ has done for those who believe. Father, I pray for those who do not see the truth. Open their eyes, Lord. Give them faith to see. To you be the glory. Jesus has come to save sinners like us so that we may bring you glory and praise. Through his death, he has secured for us life. And in his name we pray. Amen.